Everybody, here we are. We also are setting up a clubhouse at the same time. Uh, people want to check that out. Go on to Clubhouse. Raise your hand. And uh, if I bring you up to the podium, you'll be streaming out on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Rumble, uh, Rumble and YouTube. We had a great guest plan planned for today. We had to reschedule him, Vinay Prasad. But he's a doctor. But I do want to bring up some of the stuff that I was going to bring up with him today. We'll sort of pre- We'll pre-chew uh, on some of this material, but before I do, I want to get some of you up here. You had questions. Your hands are up on the YouTube. On the, yeah, uh, we always have a lot of people with our hands up. Yes. Not enough time. All right, let's do it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. I want to give a shout out to our good friends at Blue Mics. If you've heard my voice on this show any time over the past year, including right now, you've been listening to Blue Microphones. And let me tell you, after more than 30 years in broadcasting, I don't think I have ever sounded better. But you don't need to be a pro or have a fancy studio to benefit from a quality mic. You may not realize it, but if you've been working from home or using Zoom to chat with friends, you probably spend a lot of time in front of a microphone. So why not sound your best? Whether you're doing video conferencing, podcasting, recording music, or hosting a talk show, Blue has you covered. From the USB series that plugs right into your computer to XLR professional mics like the mouse or the Blueberry we use in the studio right now. Bottom line, there's a Blue microphone to fit your budget and need. I can't say enough about Blue mics. And once you try one, you will never go back. Trust me. To take your audio to the next level, go to drdrew.com blue. That is drdrew.com B-L-U-E. Anyone who's watched me over the years knows that I'm obsessed with Hydrolyte. In my opinion, the best oral rehydration product on the market. I literally use it every day. My family uses it. When I had COVID, I'm telling you, Hydrolyte contributed to my recovery, kept me hydrated. Now, with things finally reopening back around the country, the potential exposure to the common cold is always around. And like always, Hydrolyte has got your back. Hydrolyte Plus Immunity, my new favorite, starts with their fast-absorbing electrolytes and adds a host of great ingredients Plus, each single-serving easy-pour drink mix contains 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C, 300 milligrams of elderberry extract. Hydrolyte Plus Immunity comes in convenient, easy-to-pour sticks that rapidly dissolve in water, make a great-tasting drink, has 75% less sugar than your typical sports drink. It uses all-natural flavors, gluten-free, dairy-free, caffeine-free, non-GMO, and even vegan. Hydrolyte Plus Immunity is also now available in ready-to-drink bottles at the Walmart next to the pharmacy. Or as always, you can find it by visiting hydrolyte.com slash drdrew. Again, that is H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E dot com slash D-R-D-R-E-W. Be sure to use the code drdrew25 for a special discount. So, uh, Noelle, let's see what Noelle's got on her mind. Noelle, are you there? There she is. Yeah, oh, hold on. Wait, wait, Noel. Hang on. Hang got, on. Oh, no. So nobody Hang heard on. the intro. Apparently not. <laughs> All right, Noel, try that again. Here we well, go. They won't get my joke. Then. Try, you're you're, you're uh, on mute, but let's try it again. There you go. Is it working now? Then we got it. Thank you. Oh, that was you my fault. My, my mess. Right okay, go ahead. 
Okay. I just had a question. Um, I took my kids to their well child checks last mm-hmm. month and we were talking about um, the COVID vaccine for kids. Mm-hmm. And I asked him if once the FDA or CDC or, or, or whatnot um, makes uh, approves something and makes it available, do doctors get to look at all the studies that, you know, went into making that decision? And he said that, no, they, they don't always get access to that. And I just wanted to ask you, um, is, is that true? So it, it, the way I would have answered that question was, we have no way of knowing all the studies they looked at, right? We don't really know what they were presented as the defense or the the evidence for uh, approval. Now, we are supposed to keep up on all the research that's published and peer-reviewed and available. So many of us have seen lots of literature. They may be considering sort of preprints and things that haven't been published yet that we would not yet see, okay? But... People have got to get a better understanding of what FDA approval means. It doesn't mean a doctor is going to do something. It means that the drug company can bring something to market uh, in with specific parameters set by the FDA. What each physician does with each patient is up to that patient-doctor combination, period. Now, there may be mandates from outside in order to do certain things, like go to school, get a measles vaccine, things like that. But whether a treatment is given has almost nothing to do with the FDA. We we use treatments all the time. Aspirin has not been FDA approved. We use treatments all the time that are FDA approved, and we do tr- use medication that are FDA approved outside of their narrow band of FDA approval, which is what the drug company must abide by, but we are under no obligation to abide. Now, If something goes wrong because of our decision, we can get in more trouble if we're using something so-called off-label outside of FDA approval. But if we can defend that decision reasonably, there is no problem using things off-label. So what the FDA does or doesn't do should be a guide for us, but shouldn't necessarily determine what a doctor does for a patient. So you get that? Yes, and I guess I guess more of my question was when a new drug does come to market yep. or the, the COVID vaccine is approved for children, do you do you get to see all the details of the studies that go into that? Because it's just seems no, like you don't. I'm, as I'm access. saying, a lot of it is pre pre print, right? So they may we don't know what the drug company presents to the FDA. We know what's in print. We are supposed to keep up on all the published data. And that may or may not include everything that goes to the FDA, right? But let's talk about what we do know. We do know that there's roughly a 1 in 7,000, 6,800, 1 in 6,800 risk of myocarditis in young males from the vaccine, okay? Now, most of that data is on adolescents. We really don't have a lot of data on children yet, but the presumption is that there'll be similar kinds of um, risks and there is some data on children. So the risk looks about the same. So it's about one in 7,000 case of myocarditis. Now of those cases thus far, of which there's not been a lot, mostly because there's not been a lot of children vaccinated, but at one in 7,000, most of it appears to be mild and reversible. The concern is that as we start to get into the bigger numbers, you're going to see more moderate to severe myocarditis with potential for real complications. That's the concern. 
And that's what your doctor has to measure against your individual child's risk of COVID, which is approaching zero, right? There, there are what, 300 children die in the country or something from COVID? I mean, the chance of having serious problems from COVID in a healthy child is remote. So has your, talk, has your doctor sat down and talked to you about this? Um, no, he, he hasn't uh, talked about uh, specific mm -hmm. risks to age groups or anything. He did mention that he was going to recommend that all of his patients uh, get the vaccine. Though. So, so there is a so there's a overriding uh, motivation to get the vaccine, which is we need to stop this virus from replicating. Right. So there's the individual risk. There's the individual risk of, of side effect. There's the individual risk of COVID. And then there's the collective risk of which your child is a part of that if this virus continues to replicate, something bad could develop, something really nasty could develop. And so you have to kind of consider all three in what you what you decide to do for your child. Have you decided what you want to do yet? Um, I guess, well, we were, we were thinking of, yes, doing the vaccination, but really waiting to see what happened first. Okay, that's reasonable. Yeah. That's, that's a very good way to approach it. It's, that's what I did with my kids with the chickenpox vaccine. Uh, you know, I th I'm a vaccine enthusiast, to say the least, but I'm still, you know, vaccines are not without the risk. That's all. And so I'd like to understand that risk before I do it. And when my kids were little, there had been a series of adverse reactions in Japan. And I thought, huh. I wonder if we're going to really see more of this or not. We didn't. It would have been fine to have gotten the kids vaccinated. They and got me. they got chickenpox, and so I did Susan. And, uh, and everybody's fine. But I wish uh, we had it. But I, I had a similar approach with my own kids. So what you you're have triplets, doing, okay? Well. Three kids with chickenpox at the same time. The the difficulty, Noel, is that in Los Angeles, there are being there are mandates coming uh, that you're being forced to take the vaccine, and so the the decision making is being taken away from the parents and the and the doctor and because you know there are going to be some side effects that's going to be an interesting problem for the mandates it seems to me but uh that, that's a whole other matter what do you what do you feel about it generally just the vaccines in general yeah um you know i have some mixed feelings because at the beginning we were told you know, they're 90, 80% effective, whatever. Yep. And, yep. you know, my husband just read something that says, oh yeah, now our vaccines are 43% effective. And I am not personally aware of uh, a vaccine with so many boosters. And um, this is also a question I've asked on Clubhouse twice before is I'm, I'm confused as to, we have this global pandemic we needed to do something about it. Why did we not go with the tried and true, um, you know, conventional vaccine where you have, a, you know, a, a weakened or dead virus? And why did we decide to go with this brand new technology to tackle something? Be, you know so why? Serious? There was there was actually a reason. So, oh, so, please tell me. Yeah. So so first of all, we do have the or traditional platform. That's the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, and you see that one has got its own problems, right? Yes. Right, but the was the Johnson and Johnson the actual um, actual COVID nineteen in it? No, but they, they, it still was a more traditional platform. And then the Novavax is a, another traditional platform, which is exactly like the pertussis vaccine in your tetanus shot. So the Novavax is also a traditional platform. Doesn't look very good though. It doesn't look like it's having much success. But we, th I thought it was going to be better than it was. It's not looking that great. So Novavax has problems. J and J, these are the more traditional style vaccines. Uh, the reason they went with the mRNA so quickly 
is that's the only thing that could be developed and scaled up on, on the speed in which they were doing it. The mRNA vaccines from a manufacturing standpoint can be massively scaled up incredibly quickly. So that was the reason. It really was that they could do it with the mRNA vaccines. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. All right, good question. Is your last name Portuguese? No, it's Italian. Italian, because I have a friend of mine named Farina, and uh, he was uh, with an H, though, A-A-H-A, and he was a Portuguese. So I'm just curious. Okay, thank you, Noel. Good questions. I'll move you Thank back you. to the audience, and uh, we are still going along here and asking more questions. This is, hmm, I'm not quite sure what your name is. Let me see if it comes up here. Greg Ellis, is that you sitting there? Is that the Greg I'm seeing? It looks kind of like you. Uh, okay, this is a name that is not coming through. That'd be cool. Come on early. Hand is up. Is that you? It is Greg Ellis. Hold on, David. Hold on a second. Uh, sure. Greg, I'm going to invite you to speak in just a second. Go ahead, David. So, quickie question, uh, Dr. Drew. Uh, were, have you read this uh, retraction by the New York Times of the grossly misrepresented number of children, around 900,000 who were hospitalized for COVID, when in reality, the number was closer to 63,000? And if you did indeed see that, how do you respond to that kind of uh, alarm being created and then a retraction being done so much later. Well, um, would disgust be a strong enough feeling about it? <laughs> um, I, I, I see the panic porn wherever they can generate it. Uh, if I hear the word grim or staggering one more time, I'm going to put needles in my eyes. Uh, <laughs> the rush to panic is is just out of control. And the fact that they uh, issue, I did not, by the way, I did not read, I knew this happened. I knew that there was a correction. I didn't read the correction. So I specifically haven't read it because I was disgusted by the whole thing. I didn't want to know. I didn't, didn't care. But what makes me crazy is the vigor with which they present the retraction, of course, is orders of magnitude less vigorous than the original headline, which so they are true. so gratified by by putting out. The, the panic, as I look back on this thing, the, the one thing that I was spot on about and has been most disturbing to me is the panic. Uh, and the, and the, this it, the panic never makes things better. It has been on the level of disgust that we have been so panic-driven and panic. Um, well, not, have we, not, have, not only have we been panic-prone, uh, but we have been driven to panic by the press. And... Rather than keeping a positive attitude and looking to the experts to get this thing done and let's get get through this, it's awful, but we're going to get through it, to whimper and shelter in place um, as, as though that's a virtue is deeply, deeply concerning to me. This has been awful. It has been. But it's been made far, far, far more awful by examples like this. And you need go no further than the mental health data out there. I interviewed somebody yesterday. You can see it on our thread who presented some of the data for women and children, and particularly children like five to 15, the depression, the anxiety, the suicide, the substance use off the chart. I, I don't know if we'll, you know, fourth grade reading levels, pathetic. I mean, we really have damaged uh, half a generation without uh, an apology or without any plan for what we're gonna do you about it. You learned that yesterday, right? I, I knew it was happening. I didn't have the specific numbers. I, I saw it, I see it happening myself, and it's, it's, it's beyond reproach. We had a good so. guest yesterday. Thanks, David. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Greg Ellis, to get you up here, man. So, a better guest now. 
I know. Greg, aren't you coming on this show soon? Or am I going on your show? Something, something, we're doing something together. Hey, Drew, it's, we're doing both. You're coming on mine, I'm coming on yours. How great. And by the way, can I just say, that segue from the panic, I, it, was, it was about 14, 15 months ago, I talked about the panic-demic. I was more concerned about the panic-demic than the pandemic. Me too. You know, it's, it's literally, I mean, look, close to 800,000 people die by suicide every year. That's one every 40 seconds. And, and this social isolation and the messaging that we've been told, so, uh, social distancing rather than physical distancing and social connectedness, it's so important. It's so, so important. The well-being of people, particularly psychologically and not just physically, which we talk about a lot, and I listen to you and thank you for all your information. It's so vital. And, and your rooms, I have to say, I've been in a couple and listened to a lot. It's, you know what it is? It's, it's, it's well moderated with moderation. You, you provide information to people, not from a bias, not from one side or the other. And just thank you for that, Drew. Well, thanks, Greg. I, I, I'm accused of constantly being on one side or the other. And so, so I try to check myself. I try to make sure I'm just given the facts. And then I have an emotional reaction that maybe that's my mistake to share the reaction. In other words, by being disgusted over the New York Times being so illegitimate in their reporting, does that make me one side or another? If it does, I, I guess it does. Uh, it's just that I, I cannot stand what has happened to the press. I can't stand it. It's just, it's just, just I'm just disgusted. And I, I'm worried because I've been a part of it. You know, I was on CNN for six years and I created lots of programming that has been morphed into things that they are now that has gone into outer space. And they're just as, I, I don't like a world where there's no respect for the truth. That is deeply, deeply worrying to me. And the other thing, Greg, I want to ask you this, because you have roots, you know, in other countries. This happened worldwide. I, it's one thing if I, if it just happened here, I could, I could really take aim at what I saw happen, but it's weird to me that the entire world adopted a similar attitude. Why do you think that is? Are they just following the United States so diligently that here we go, what we do, the world does, as as goes the U.S., so goes the world. Or is there something? And I'm again, I'm leading the witness a little bit here. Is there something going on in our personalities, our emotional landscapes, in our relationships that set us up for this? That's a great question. Gosh, I mean, look, uh, you know, being from the UK, I've seen what's happened with the UK and the lockdowns and the veracity by which there's there's been these emergency powers. I've seen what's happened in Australia, particularly New South Wales. My God, um, it's been it's been shocking to see the videos of that. Of, I think yesterday, or maybe this morning, there was a, a woman in her local park with a mask who went to exercise, sat down on a bench for a cup of tea, and seven police officers grabbed her, turned her over, violently threw her to I the ground. I saw it. I saw it. I mean, th- this is this is a level of 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 police state which the likes of which I haven't seen in my lifetime, and I think it's more accessible because of social media. Right. But I do think this uh, the panic demic. When I look at the the masquerade, if you will, the the, the mask charade of it's one <laughs> it's two it's none it's inside it's out someone's going to do a parody song about it yeah. it's so difficult for people and i think you know i had stephen fry on my show uh, back in may last year and he made a very good point he talked about epidemiologists and virologists and said he said that anyone who is sure of themselves uh particularly who's a virologist and epidemiologist do not listen to them because they don't know what they're talking about right it's ever changing right like you talk about about the replication of the virus this these are like science is emergent truths we're we're getting new information daily so how do we get access to that information i think is key 
Oh, you packed a lot into that. So, so if you want to know, see or hear a really good discussion, I was going to have Vinay Prasad on here. He has a podcast called Plenary Sessions, which I was listening to before COVID. He's just a brilliant physician researcher. And he has a, his podcast that's up right now. It's a bunch of mini podcasts, and he really digs into these issues. I strongly recommend you guys listen to it, even as a primer for when I do get him next week. But the idea here that- Everybody pray. Yeah. <laughs> the idea that people can be sure of themselves in biological sciences, anyone who's a clinician knows you never say never, you never say always. We're, we're deeply trained and entrenched in that, in that thinking because biology is a probability equation. You're trying, it's like collect, it's like, you know, trying to predict cloud formation. We're, we're trying to do the best we can, but we know there's going to be lots of error, lots of distribution, lots of scatter, lots of uh, things we're uncertain about. And if you are certain about anything of, in a biological realm, you are certain to be wrong. That's number one. Number two, the mask charade, which I love the uh, the, um, the the framing of that. Uh, how come we're not having a massive outbreak right there, like right now? Because Dr. Fauci predicted on MSNBC a massive outbreak with people going to football games. Why didn't the football games cause massive outbreaks? Now, uh, a sensible and somewhat information-based point of view would have been, hmm, we only have like four cases of documented transmission of the virus outside in the world. Out of the tens of millions of cases, four cases. I bet if the stadiums are outdoor and well-ventilated, it's going to be a low probability of transmission. So people outdoors can gather, probably. Maybe not, we'll see, but probably. Now, we've had a massive experiment, uh, particularly down in the South during football, during college football games. 90,000 people crammed in the stadiums, no uptake. In fact, continued downturn. So I think we can at least determine that the virus is going to do what the virus does, particularly when it comes to outdoor gatherings, number one. Number two, uh, on Dr. Prasad's uh, plenary sessions, he reviews the mask data. And he, re he really talks about whether the data is good or bad. The problem is there's good data that has been called bad data. Based on my understanding of what he analyzes, and the data at best shows about a 15% effect of masks in, in, the, in best data. And that's not nothing, that's not zero, but that's not stopping transmission. It's not you're a killer if you don't wear a mask. It's about 15, 20%. Check out the Bangladesh study, check out the Danish study published in Annals of Internal Medicine. These were good studies. They were highly criticized because people didn't like the outcome. And so that's been one of the horrible things about this pandemic is people have started reasoning from conclusion. So rather than saying, huh, masks aren't quite as effective as we thought they'd be, but they do something, let's keep, let's keep doing it. Let's do something. Because if there are going to be 800,000 deaths, 10% of 800,000, still that's 80,000 lives. Come on now, let's, let's go do something. But don't treat people that, that have their mask over their nose like a murderer or not over their nose. And my final point, and then I'm going to get back to you, Greg, is the, the uh, NHS at the UK came out with some data, I think it was two days ago, uh, where they concluded, and, and I want to get your opinion on, did you see this data and do you, do you, what do you think about it? Because it kind of surprised me. They're concluded, they were looking back, they were doing some of the initial retrospective analysis of how we did during the pandemic, which I thought was a great idea. But they concluded that the most serious error of the pandemic was during the era when Boris Johnson wasn't locking things down and there should have been an earlier, more severe lockdown. Now, they didn't specify could they have done a shorter period of time? Might it have been a shorter lockdown? Might, you know, what the goal would have been at the early lockdown necessarily? But their conclusion was that they did just about everything pretty well, except this delay in lockdown. What say you, Greg? 
Gosh, I you know I'm I, I don't know too much about who did that study. Or NHS, the, the NHS. It was just, it was an NHS publication. Wow. Well, it's it's surprising for me to hear that the NHS has gone against the government. Um, Interesting. I don't. Yeah. Well, they're going really against is. Boris Johnson. To be fair, I don't think Boris Johnson is particularly popular with the NHS. <laughs> yeah, I'm just checking that out now. It's <coughs> a serious, serious early error and a fatalistic approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I want to go back to what you said about that. That that reductive reasoning from conclusion backwards yeah. like yeah. that to me that reminds me of you know we've talked a little bit about cancel culture that guilty till proven innocent and it seemed to me and it seems to me i'm not going to call it covid woke but the new diseased until proven healthy mentality it's that <laughs> perfect good. storm yeah you know and 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 and, and, and to a degree I, I think to a degree i think the unvaccinated aren't prolonging the, the pandemic. I think governments are prolonging the pandemic. And I, I read today someone who said that it was more endemic than pandemic now. We have to learn <laughs> how to live with it. Yeah. Um, and I think there's truth in that. Would you yeah. agree? Oh, 100%. I, listen, as soon as th there's a weird battle forming right now, uh, it is around the antiviral medication. So Merck is a, trying to get approval of Molnupiravir, Pfizer as a product. These are expensive drugs. It's been expensive for them to do the research, so the drugs are going to be expensive. But they are on the order of efficacy of antibiotics. So if you get a strep throat, you take an antibiotic, you can expect to get better. If you get a urinary tract infection and you take an antibiotic, you can expect to get better. It wasn't that way until 1970s. In the past, you would die of urosepsis, you would get rheumatic fever, you'd get rheumatic heart disease. If you had a strep infection in your throat, it changed the world. Let's move forward to HIV. They developed antiviral drugs that were vilified at first. If you remember, the Dallas Buyers Clubs insisted that no one take it because the AZT was causing AIDS. It was portrayed a little bit in the movie, but it was a really serious problem. And we had something we could really do for people to help them, and they were being told not to take it. When we figured out another antiviral and we put these antivirals together, AIDS was overnight turned from a death sentence to a chronic illness. We're going to see something like that with the antivirals, therapeutics, that come up on board soon for, for, um, for uh, coronavirus. The, the war that's brewing is people are saying it is just a pharma scam. It is uh, just trying to put I, the, I, I can't even say the drug, the Iver drug, I can't even say it on this stream or I'll be canceled. It's trying to put that drug on a, on this, a cheap available drug uh, uh, away, so it you know so we can make our money. And all you know, there, I, somebody came on this stream yesterday, who I'm going to speak to, and said this was what she called pharmaco world. She called it like a world war of pharma something. You know, pharma was waging war on humanity essentially. I'm here to tell you, the antivirals are going to turn this thing into an endemic disease that doctors treat easily. That's what's going to happen. So you're going to have a vaccine, so the illness is mild and less likely to transmit. You're going to have monoclonal antibodies if somebody breaks through, and you're going to have antivirals, which you just take as soon as you get sick once we understand that this is a safe drug, and the FDA is working on that right now. So we're nearly fully, it is becoming more endemic for sure. Uh, we do, and I think I would say it's the vaccines and the monoclonal antibodies that have made it uh, endemic now. But it's going to become truly endemic once we have therapeutics. Now, this idea that you've seen flying around 
that the uh, vaccines are going to cause accelerated mutations by putting evolutionary stressors on the virus. Vaccines don't tend to do that. Therapeutics do do that. So there will be a need for putting viral medicine. That's why we put, have to put viral medicines together. That's why you have to have two or three of them together because it does put evolutionary pressure on the virus and they do figure out ways to get around the therapeutics. So that's going to be where that problem kicks in. So yes, Greg, endemic, it's getting there. It's close. And um, we have treatments and that's what really makes something endemic. Yeah, great points. W yeah. When you when you ask me about the UK as well, what, mm. what, what comes to mind is... The, inf the consent for 12 to 15-year-olds, I think it's the Milgram consent, it's called, um, which usurps the parents' rights to decide for their children whether they get vaccinated. That concerns me. Deeply. Well, now, let me stop you. Is, is it called the Milgram consent as an homage to the Milgram experiment? Is oh, that... no, it's not Milgram. It's, it's something else. I got that wrong. It's not the Milgram experiment. But, uh, but I have heard people use, I have heard Milgram's name applied to some of the draconian stuff right. that's going on for the very reason. Those of you who don't know, the Milgram experience was a famous Yale, Stanford, Stanford, Yale. Stanford was the, yeah. the prison guard one. A, a famous Yale uh, biology. Yeah, the Stanford one was the Stanford experiment, wasn't it? Right. And that's the one that's been shown to be maybe a sham, by the way. The Milgram, not. The Milgram was for real. And it was showing how people respond to authority, essentially. It's, it's that experiment where they take uh, unknowing subjects, they put them at a counter, they say, you're going to give electric, it's a learning paradigm, you're going to give electric shocks to this to this uh, poor subject who's in another room, you can't see them, but you can hear them. And the shocks get more and more severe to the point that the the what they start hearing, the subject starts hearing from that room is, I have a heart problem, I can't breathe, I'm, I'm, ch I'm chest pain. And the, and the experimenter goes, go on, keep going. Give more, give more stimulation, give more electricity. And most people do it, which is pretty crazy. Uh, and that's very similar to some of the things that are going on today. There is sort of a Milgram phenomenon today, that's for sure. Yes, yeah, so my faux pas, my word salad faux pas, I don't remember the name, but, but basically they've given consent. The government has decided that 12 to 15 year olds can 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 have their own autonomy of their yeah. medical consent yeah that concerns me and i was concerned yeah. as well drew with like you know i'm pro vaccines mm -hmm. you know but, but president biden mandating medical procedures on the citizenry is i think somewhat orwellian i know that's that's you know it's it's a little extreme to say but i think we should encourage people to get vaccinated yeah. recommend vaccination implore them even incentivize them if you like and 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 right. inform people and educate that's Right. And give people as much data and information and documents and, and reports and studies as possible. But federal enforcement and making employment conditional on vaccine injection, I just think is wrong. And, and it kind of is it's the beginnings of a two-tiered society where those people, because I think there is a small uh, but, but vocal uh, uh, section of people who, who like to be the best at following the rules mm -hmm. and telling everyone what the rules are. Yeah. And I think when it comes down to individual choice, like uh, I think it was um, Noelle who was just on and she said, you know, she she isn't sure about whether to for her kid. She's yeah. going to wait. Yeah. I think this this the way we the way we um, use words as well into the pro-vax, anti-vax thing. Like, People are curious, people are hesitant, and people are information hungry. And I think that's good, and we should encourage that. But as you 
well, no, we don't live in a society with, with a lot of nuance and doubt. We, we live in this, this world where you're one or the other, you're either or, you're for or against. And I think the more we can have people like you um, speaking, as, as, as long as you, you can find a non-censorious platform that you won't get uh, banned <laughs> yeah, by we're, saying the I We're worried about YouTube, but, you know. So far, so good. We're, we're, we, we, but we're we, on Rumble now, so. Yeah, our friends over at Rumble, by the way, we appreciate you guys. But it's I, a, it's a I, I totally agree with him. Didn't I say this to you last week? That? That I said, you know, maybe once a week we need to like give out really good information about COVID. Yes, you did. And, yes, you did. And because there's just nothing out there and people are totally ignorant of what's going on. They have so many questions. Well, they're not ignorant. <laughs> they're just fearful and they don't know what what information source to rely upon. Well, not everybody. They can trust. But there's a lot of people who just put their heads in the sand, don't want the vaccine, just want to move forward. But then they're being told they have to do something. They're <laughs> getting arrested. They're getting knocked out. You know, it's. Well, let me, let me, let me, Greg, as always, lays up these comments that but make I, me want I to say more. Drew's really looking forward to interviewing you. I know. Well, here we are. We're, we're well into it. We're, we're, <laughs> this I'm, is the pre-interview interview. I, I'm going to make you go away because we're going to. Yeah, gonna, we don't want to leave it in the hall. Yeah, we're going to leave it all in the hall today. <laughs> but, uh, but, but mandates harden resistance. This stream, people on this stream probably know that I got into radio because in 1983, I was dealing with AIDS patients like crazy. We just started calling it AIDS. We, for, in 1982, we called it GRIDS. In 1983, we called it AIDS. We didn't have a causative agent yet, but we were getting a, a handle on the behavior that led to the transmission. And it was a powerful behavior that pe they couldn't figure out how to change. They couldn't figure out how to get people not to have sex. And one Anthony Fauci was advocating for young physicians like me to get into the media and start educating. I took that very seriously, and that's how I got involved in radio in 1983. That's what started me down that path. So I, I've been around Fauci for four decades. And yeah, but I, you worked very hard to give good information course, out to people, and you did it for free for what? I, for 10, 10 years. years. I did it for free for 10 years because that was important. It was interesting. It was fun. It was different. And, and I was, did it for free after that too, but that's you had true. a pretty good run there. That's true. I did it for free towards the end there too. But but point being that that's what got me into all this. And across the landscape of AIDS, we learned how to change behavior. We study cases. We create narratives. We use humor and music. You don't tell me, and you notice me in a box on high telling people what to do zero probability of working. It's actually why I got involved with Teen Mom because I knew that 16 and Pregnant and Teen Mom, by showing the cases, the consequences of those kids' lives would decrease teen pregnancy. And you can now document two things, that the teen pregnancy in this country started falling the quarter that 16 and Pregnant started airing, and they have two academic studies that show the higher the viewership of Teen Mom, the lower the incidence of teen pregnancy. So it worked. We know how to do this. It's not by saying, don't get pregnant, use birth control. It's like, let me show you what happens when, when you don't. And uh, that brings me to two other points, which is this follow the science acronym, which is out now, that really is essentially just a, a, a uh, placeholder for do what I say. Follow, follow the science has no meaning in science. There's no, there's no world where scientists sit down and say, follow the science. That, that's authoritarian. We say, here's the numbers. Tell me what you think. Do you agree with my reasoning? Follow the science. That, that term has become so, so distorted 
that I, I, again, Vinay Prasad has a lot of feelings about this. He's written some articles on it. I will get into it with him next week. Now, Greg, what, do you have any feeling as it pertains to helping people get vaccinated or unvaccinated with the way Colin Powell's death has been reported, which is a tragedy. That man was a national treasure and he died. Do you have any, did you ha what was your takeaway from how that was reported? Yeah, I agree with you um, about Colin Powell. And what, what saddened me was that rather than, and I nearly, I nearly tweeted about this. I don't tweet that often. I nearly put something out there, but my thought was this, when I read some of the comments and the politicization of yeah. the vaccine and him right. and his death, and, right. was to just say, look, I, this, this, let's look at this man's life yeah. and celebrate the great public service, whether you, whether you align with him politically or not, what an amazing individual and yeah. what an amazing life amazing. and how sad for him and his family. And let's celebrate his life and mourn his death. That was where I came from. These people who were trying to argue either, either or side was just, it, it just made me a bit sad. And, and let's, let's be clear. He had, he was 84 with multiple myeloma. The, 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 uh, Kaplan Meyer curve on that is about five years. You get about five years at that age with myeloma. I don't, they, they're not telling us what age, I found it interesting that they wouldn't tell us what age he was diagnosed. I'm betting it was not last month. I'm betting it was three to five years ago. So his his clock was running out, COVID or no COVID, vaccine or no vaccine. And that biological reality is not what's being discussed. This is a real serious problem. People at the end of life are fragile and a little thing can steal them of six months one way or another. That's for sure. COVID does that. And now we're learning, even if you're vaccinated, that, that might happen. Would you would I have given Colin Powell another booster vaccine in the face of myeloma therapy if he had a tough time with the vaccine, which I don't know, maybe he did? No, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. Mostly because giving get, making him sick from the vaccine, if he's fragile enough, could be a serious problem. I'll take my risk because he only got about a few months to go anyway if he's been sick with myeloma for five years. So this kind of sort of reasoning isn't shared with anybody. That's the part that drives That's me crazy. That's a good long life. 83 is 84. Good. Oh yeah, my God. your dad and, was and, 83, right? And five years of myeloma. That right. is the point is that you don't he, live he forever with cancer. myeloma. And, and yeah, it's like- doing great. And so I, I don't know, did he? And what was the treatment? Why do you have to die of COVID when you've had cancer for five years? I don't get it. Because you're fragile. It could have been, flu could have killed you. No, but it, as well. why do they have to call it you died of COVID when you've had that, cancer? This is you my point. It's me, you can't put it in a box. You don't get to put clinical, biological events in a box like that. And both in terms of vaccine, not vaccine, uh, COVID, not COVID death. So Greg, help me with this. And then I'm going to let yeah, you go. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before I move to the audience, um, look, I, yeah, it, 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 what it brings up for me is I had a conversation with uh, Brett Weinstein about 18, well, 16, 15 months ago about the lab leak hypothesis. We were both concerned about that. Yeah. That got quashed, uh, got quashed in the press yeah. because the president at the time wasn't the right president and there wasn't the right conversation. And all these months later, we, and and I, I'm reminded at that time, I think one of the things Brett and I talked about was. The incentives, the hospital administrators uh, in certain hospitals encouraging the, the the cause of death if there was anything symptomatic of COVID. That yeah, but be, but to be fair, it, but but that was a convention. I'm going to push back on the record and say that was a convention that everybody agreed upon, so hospitals could survive in the pandemic and continue to operate. So they were they right. were not just incentivized; they were it was it was they had to. That was the way they stayed open. 
Uh, and did and that end at any point? Was that ended? Well, I don't convention? know. I, yes, I think it did. Yes, yes, it just did. I believe it did. I, I think it ended, and the and, and the insurance companies and how they're looking. A lot of that stuff is sort of unraveled now. Yes, I think it has. Good. Well, maybe I just haven't read too much about it. Yeah. or heard too much about it. But you're the, right. The but market. the point is the difference between an incentive and a survival technique. You know what I mean? This was. Yeah. This was. We needed the hospital to survive. Everyone agreed they would take this convention. The problem is what people did with the data. Then, then they took the data and said, "Ah, this is look what we have here," as opposed to trying to interpret the data. It's very, this, this is the part that gets Anic me crazy. Before I go to the, I just want to say a couple of last things. Mm -hmm. So, so I, th I, I thought about why we have this panic demic and why people are hesitant and curious. Cause I, you know, for all my life I've taken vaccines. I go, why are people so yeah. hesitant? Yeah. And I think that perhaps the first time in our history, the collective consciousness has been raised by this particular vaccine and mm -hmm. the strain mm -hmm. and the citizenry are questioning, what are they injecting into their bodies yeah. rather than blindly allowing, you know, some might say big pharma or some might say what they're being told by the, to inject them on mass. And I think that's a good thing that people are curious. I, I, what I am agree. I putting in here? If, with, and the Say, go ahead, go ahead. Well, if we get give the information to make good judgment, <laughs> that's the thing. Well, we, that's why it's so important. We have people like you and, you know, to put out information that doesn't come from a place. Look, I'm going to say, I, when this pandemic started, I bought, I bought into two stocks, Zoom and Novavax. I'm probably going to sell Novavax tomorrow because of what you just said about 15 minutes ago about it. I still think it's going to come out. I still think it's going to come out. And I think it's going to be useful. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's just not yep. quite what I thought it was going to be. At least the, it's at not least, as encouraging. At least the trickle of information that I'm getting now, maybe that's distorted. You know, I haven't seen a lot of good peer published review yet, but, but I'm hearing that it's like mm, from people I, I trust that it may not be what we hope for. So yes, that might not be. Well, let's, let's don't take expectations don't, have been lowered and they continue to impress. And the last just, thing I just very don't take investment say, advice from me right now. <laughs> that's we're doing so go, go ahead. Yeah, when it, when yeah, it suddenly don't. just, it just skyrockets in a year's time, I'm like, right. yeah, you, right. Um, Could happen. I just want to quickly say you, you put me in touch and it's unrelated, but you put, put me in touch with Eric Kramer, yes. former uh, ex-NFL quarterback. Yes, I did. His story is, is going to be out on Sunday on my show, The Respondent. Great. And, you know, he, he the, some of the quotes and some of the things he says, I'm just grateful that you put me in touch with him. He, he placed a gun under his jaw and pulled the trigger. The bullet went through his chin, up through his tongue, nasal cavity, narrowly missed his optic nerve, through his brain, exited his skull. And the story after that gets even more dark and interesting and harrowing. But it's also a, a story of triumph over, over adversity. So I want to thank you for connecting oh, me. Oh, listen. Wonderful I fellow. When, when he, I knew Eric before the gunshot wound and I knew what some of his struggles were. And he called me and told me that story. And I was like, oh my God, Eric, I had no idea. I was floored. And you and I had just met. And, and, and I thought, oh, this is, this would be an interesting pairing. And so thank you. And everybody, please go, where do they get the pod? So it's uh, it's the respondent at therespondent.com and it's going to be live on YouTube premiering on Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific time and and it basically you 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 make a great point 18 his, his 18 year old son overdosed on heroin mm. and died his mother died of cancer his father soon after and then and then he attempted suicide and then it gets even more we, we get into conservatorship and he was coerced into marriage and then family law and he was accused of domestic violence and faced domestic violence, felony domestic violence charges. So yeah, it's a, he's a wonderful guy. It's an amazing story and it highlights so many of the ills, the systemic ills of our institutions, particularly the legal system. So yeah, 1 p.m. Sunday, Eric Kramer.
and, and, and as a as a prep for that interview, you might want to uh, Wikipedia Phileas Gage, the case of Phileas Gage, which was the guy in the 1870 or so had a rod go through a railroad tampening rod go through his eye and skull and injure a similar part of the brain. And you're going to see the spectrum of what happens when people get those sorts of brain injuries. It's also yeah, uh, astonishing. He was one of the most famous patients in neuroscience, I think, yes. maybe the most famous. Well, and it's come under scrutiny lately, but I'm telling you, it, it, it fits the biology. You can, all, you can also look at the description in uh, Anthony Damasio's book, uh, Descartes' Error, Des which is also a great book about the brain. Descartes' Error, I recommend it strongly. And he talks about Phileas Gage's case there in great detail. Um, Greg, thank you. Thank you for talking to my friend, Eric. Uh, this story is worthy of of everybody listening to it. It, it, it is a story of the spirit, I think. Uh, and it's just, it just, it'll, it'll blow your mind. It will just blow your I mind. I agree. And, yeah. and he, you know, he's, he's just a wonderful guy and yeah. how he's come back. So thank you for yeah. that. Thank you for having me right. up for this pre-interview interview. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I look forward to seeing you very right, soon. Greg, we'll do. Drew. Take care. Keep up the great work. Thank well. you, buddy. Bye. Great, Greg Ellis. Why, why don't I take a, a break right now? Uh, and what we'll do is I've got lots of hands up here. I will get to as many of you guys as I can. Uh, those of you that are new in the clubhouse, uh, anyone that does come up to the podium to talk will be streaming out on Rumble, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and so just know that you're consenting to that by coming up and uh, speaking on the mic. I've got about six, seven people with hands up here. I'll try to get to as many of you. And by the way, Greg's going to be on our podcast next Friday at 3 p.m. Th this, this, this Friday. This stream. He'll this be show. on Ask Dr. Drew. We're doing all Ask Dr. Drew. 4 p.m. 4 p.m. on October 22nd. Friday the 20. Friday the 22nd. Yes, I'm seeing that on my schedule. I'm looking at it. Yep, Greg will be back on Friday. Get to see him. Oh, oh, shoot. Greg, I'm going to put Greg up because I want to tell him one more thing, Greg. I want you to think about something. I meant to say it before I we started talking about, uh, about uh, Eric Kramer. All right, Greg, there. Yeah. Unmute yourself. You're muted. There yeah, you I'm here. Okay. I, you, we started asking about how the world got so taken by panic. I want you to think about histrionic personality characteristics, narcissism and histrionic. The only period of history that I can find that compares to this is essentially 1780s France, both from the standpoint of the kinds of childhood injuries that result in narcissism and the mob actions that followed. Now, if there's something going on where people with large groups of people with narcissism and childhood injuries get together, they become hysterical in mobs. And and they start having delusional thinking. And the reason I've I've said this on the stream before, the reason I started thinking about this, I thought, my God, everyone is telling me that there's Nazis down the street and the president's a Russian operative. And I, if these if somebody come in my office and said, talk to me about Nazis and Russian, you know, sort of operatives that they knew were, you know, sort of that, that leaders were Russian bots, I would put that person in a psychiatric hospital. Five years ago, that person would be admitted for delusional thinking. Now, it's a collective delusion that is sort of passed off as, oh, well. So think about that for next Friday. I will. I, I, I've actually thought a little bit about this, the, the collective Munchausen's by proxy and the, uh, the just that, um, well, the 1780s France is a good one. I think we, that moving towards that panic epidemic that um, that we are raging against the machine. Yep. And, and also that, you know, the narcissism, uh, of the individual yeah. and and how and how victimhood has become somewhat it's, of a new social currency. See, to me, that's and all, it's, and its economy is booming. It's all the it's same. It's all interconnected. That's all interconnected, right? So we're gonna, that's what I want to talk to you about on Friday. Okay. 
Great. All right. Look forward to Talk it. To that. Thanks, Drew. All right. We'll take a little break and I'll come back to you with more of your calls right after this. Here with my daughter, Paulina, to share an exciting new project. Over the years, we've talked to a ton of young people about what they really want to know about relationships. It's difficult to know who you are and what you want, especially mm. as a teenager. And not everyone has access to an expert in their house like I did. Of course, it wasn't like I was always that receptive to that advice. Right. No kidding. But now we have written the book on consent. It is called It Doesn't Have to Be Awkward, and it explores relationships, romantic relationships, and sex. It's a great guide for teens, parents, and educators to go beyond the talk and have honest and meaningful conversations. It Doesn't Have to Be Awkward will be on sale September 21st. You can order your book anywhere books are sold. Mm -hmm. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, and of course, your independent local bookstore. Links are available on drdrew.com. So pre-ordering the book will help people, well, raise awareness, obviously, and it'll get that conversation going early so more people can can notice this and spread the word of positivity about healthy relationships. So if you can, we would love your support by pre-ordering now. Totally. And as we said before, this is a book that both teenagers and their parents should read. Read the book, have the conversation. It doesn't have to be awkward. On sale September 21st. We are back. Let's get right off to the phone lines again. Susan, everything good from your standpoint? Everything's good. I my plumber's at the house and the lockbox was open and uh -oh. the keys weren't inside. That's all. Uh -oh. little, I'm good. Okay. I really like that conversation. I With really Greg? appreciate him joining us. Yeah. Every time I talk to Greg, it sort of it elevates my thinking. I'm it's, dual tasking. I know you. Yeah. know I'm not very good at that. So. But I, I, that's really what I want to know. If you thought that was no, I love it. I can't wait to hear more on Friday. Yeah, he, he's a he's a good thinker. He's written a book um, mm -hmm. about family courts and, and yes, that yes. Uh, maybe put that book up there for him. I don't know what. I, I don't know what if he's called. ready for that. It, it, what's that? I don't know if he can right now. But no, it, for you, you just look it up on. on no, I know it's the. Um, yeah, maybe it's on family law and and yeah, it's going to be a good conversation about that. Okay, I'm glad you remembered that. The book is called The Respondent. The Respondent, yeah. and uh, Caleb, maybe you have a little screenshot for that. But uh, let me go ahead and get. He'll some. get it. Okay. Let me go ahead and get some callers up here. I can't, I can't see. Uh, this is uh, Joe Wahal. Easy for you to say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Help me with that. Uh, just call me Narwhal. Narwhal. Okay. Excellent. Narwhal hey, is easier. Dr. Drew. Hey, okay. uh, thanks for, for having me up. So I'm one of the lucky people that um, got vaccinated and then two months later got a breakthrough case of COVID. Nice. Good times. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, the anointed now, one. <laughs> yeah, now now I'm also in the very rare club of being a long hauler three months later. I Ugh. guess technically, I, I guess I'm a long hauler. Am, am I at three months? A long no, hauler? you're you're people. The long haul target has moved. It was originally three weeks. So I, I think if you're sick for three months, you're good for a long haul uh, 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 label. Why not? Yeah. So my so I would say basically what I have is post viral fatigue syndrome okay. is what I'm thinking. Have you tried anything? Um, well, so that's, you know, I've talked to my GP, you know, he's referred me to the long haul clinic mm -hmm. at Kaiser. Yeah. Um, I'm just taking supplements. Um, I gotta I tell I you, I had a, ahead. I had a, I had the same thing. I had terrific. I had two things. I had long haul fatigue and then long haul fogginess and the fatigue was rapidly reversed with fluvoxamine. Uh, it was Steve Kirsch, who's an enthusiast for that drug, finally convinced me to try it. I had zero side effects, and in 30 minutes, the ringing in my ears improved, 
and I just had a steady improvement in my in that the, re, the resolution of that fatigue, and it was awful. I mean, it was really bad. So it's something to look into. Also, have you looked at the website covidlonghaulers.com? Um, I will. I will check it out. It's a group, Dr. Yo, Dr. Patterson, and and they're actually having a good deal of results. Uh, you can look at what they're what they're saying there on the website. But they've been using, uh, believe it or not, an ACE inhibitor, Pravacol, to uh, help some people. And not Are an we ACE allowed inhibitor, to say all these, these medicines on, um, on YouTube? Yes, I'm allowed to talk about medicines. I'm a physician. I can talk about medicines. Okay, I hope so. This is insane. Are you that sure is, about that? that, that no. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, my God. I'm not and kidding. I'm not telling him what to do. I'm saying to look what into the options it are. and to discuss it with his physician. Yeah. Uh, and one of the theories is that classical monocytes are still manifesting spike protein particles as they enter the central nervous system and having some effect there of inflammation. And the thinking is the sigma-1 receptor, which is highly uh, affected by fluvoxamine, may be the mechanism of reducing the inflammation in the brain. So you can look up the sigma-1 receptor in the brain. It gets a little complicated as you sort of read into that stuff. But I can just tell you anecdotally, I had a marked positive response. Uh, many people have. It's not. I'm not sure what the incidence is. Like it's not everybody that has a good response to it, but it's something to talk about with your doctor. I feel terrible when people get that. The long haul. It was bad. Oh, it's awful. I know. I see. So how how would I get him to go about agreeing to do this? Based well, on he, your because he's in because he's in the Kaiser system. I don't know that he may have administrative resistances that are different. He may have to apply to his pharmaceutical committee and things like that. Pharmacy, you know, so-called P and PT and D, pharmacy therapeutic committee. Um, but it's something to maybe you go in armed with some data and look at it and talk to them. Uh, the the publications are out there. If you the there was a nice study on fluvoxamine and JAMA from eight months ago, ten months ago. Um, so there's there's good good decent research um, and almost zero downside. Again, this is the thing that. So many of these medications that can be repurposed that don't have specific FDA guidelines attached to them, we as physicians use them, i.e. aspirin, which is not an FDA-approved drug. Uh, Seriously? <laughs> it's, a, it's not FDA-approved drug. Oh. Uh, these are things we use to try to help patients when the risks are low. Do you have, do you have other, did, did, but I, I just went off on a diatribe. Did you, something else motivate your call? <laughs> Um, no, I mean, that was primarily it. I was just yeah. wondering if you knew, um, putting COVID aside with, with post-viral fatigue syndrome yeah. generally, yeah. Um, in your practice, is this something that subsides gradually? How long am I like stuck with this? I just talked to somebody today that's had it for close to eight, nine months, and I've seen people have it for a year, and I've seen people fail lots of treatments too. Um, so it's not, it's a really treacherous, weird, I, I would say this though. Um, we in my profession, uh, I think minimized the reality of post-viral syndromes. If you remember, you may not be old enough to remember, but there was a whole time when people talked about chronic Epstein-Barr and then chronic fatigue syndrome, and then chronic fatigue morphed into fibromyalgia. And as, as the terminology went along and the category broadened, I think a certain amount of skepticism developed along chronic viral syndromes. COVID has proven that to be an incorrect posture, that we should be very respectful and concerned about post-viral syndromes of all types, and we should be interested in figuring out ways to treat it. Now, the category of chronic fatigue 
and and all the other monikers that have gone with it have always shown to have some benefit from SSRIs, which is why it caused some people to go, oh, it's just depression. No, it turns out that certain SSRIs are highly anti-inflammatory in the central nervous system through this Sigma-1 system, most particularly fluvoxamine and Prozac. Those two medicines have very powerful stimulation of the Sigma-1 system. So you can at least go to your, why don't you go to your doctor and say, I'm depressed, and maybe you can get him to pre prescribe it that way. Like, I'm, the fatigue is making me depressed. I feel like an antidepressant would help me. Maybe that's what's happening. We don't know. But it certainly does help people. Okay, yeah, I'm actually already uh, referred out to uh, psychi psychology, right. psychiatry as well. So. You talk about fluvoxamine and Prozac with those doctors, and uh, they're very familiar and very have low thresholds for using those medicines. So that's good news. Okay. All right. All right, man. Great. Good luck. Thank you. Yep. All right, back to the phone lines here. I'm, uh, uh, this is, let me see if I can get the name, because everyone's got these funny You are killing it today. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, I was quite excited to talk about uh, Renee, uh, 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 Vinay Prasad. I had a lot of ideas in my head. I know, I know. But you're doing a fair uh, Hiba? Hi, yes. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for asking. Um, so I'm in Canada, and uh, uh, I really was um, hesitant to get vaxxed. Uh, primarily because we have such a high population and um, uh, I felt like I already had mm -hmm. uh, COVID, but I I was never tested for it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, long story short, because of all the restrictions that they have placed on us, um, including pressure from work, I chose to get uh, vaccinated and um, this was like about 10 days ago where I had my first shot mm -hmm. and, um, last a couple of nights ago, while I was sleeping, I was awakened by, um, extreme dizziness. Mm. And, um, the first two days I, I really had the regular symptom of, you know, mus muscle ache at the site of, um, where I was shot, but, mm -hmm. It was a full like 10 days later when I was awakened by dizziness and then I kept trying to go back to sleep. And as soon as I'd lay down on my left side, I right. would get like dizziness again. Right. Um, so I was wondering, should I be concerned to get my second shot? At, I mean, my doctor is Oof. going to pro. He's very much like as many of the doctors here there. Um, let, me, let me let me suggest this. Uh, and I'm not telling you what to do. You do it with your doctor, but there's no doubt in my mind that has something to do with the vaccine. The vaccine has all kinds of strange, the, the spike protein has all kinds of strange neurological correlates associated with it. Ringing in the ears, dizziness, you know, facial palsies, a lot of cranial nerve stuff, very strange. Uh, none of it's life-threatening. None of it is serious. It all goes away. So that's the good news. But you worry that meh, next time it could be a much more severe reaction. One of the ways that they're mitigating these things is by separating the vaccines by more time. And there's actually some evidence that by getting, you know, four, six, eight weeks out, but we're talking about the mRNA vaccines, HIDA, HIDA, right? Yes. Yeah. The Pfizer. So, so there's some evidence that waiting longer actually enhances immunity and decreases the, you know, the duration of, uh, of, of immune, immunogenicity. So what I would, if you were my patient, I would say, you know, I really want to get you that second vaccine, but let's wait six weeks. Let's wait a while. 
and let's be on our toes next time. If you, you know, if you have certain reactions, we'll think of ways we can help you with that, but a little more time pass. I, 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 I've seen Monica Gandhi suggest that that may be one of the ways of reducing myocarditis risk in young males. She is taking that position quite aggressively that rather than taking the 12 year old male and giving them vaccine, you know, three weeks apart, let's do it six weeks apart, eight weeks apart. And that seems to help reduce some of these side effects. Okay. Um, thank you. Can I just ask you a quick question related? Yeah. Yeah. I'm also taking Rabiprazole. I've been on it for almost two months. Is there a chance it could be maybe an interaction or because of the medication I'm taking? The Omeprazole? Is that, is that the medicine you said? Uh, Rabiprazole. Yeah. Um, those medicines can cause dizziness by themselves. So hard to, uh, hard to say, but... but but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about a severe interaction. I would not worry about a significant interaction. Okay. 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 I, I think Thanks. what you can think to yourself is, well, maybe it was the medicine caused the dizziness and not the uh, not the virus, but uh, not the vaccine rather. But I'd still wait. I'd 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 hedge my bet a little bit. Plus, there seems to be some advantages to waiting longer between the mRNA vaccines. Now, she does bring up two interesting things I want to address. One is you can test for exposure. You can test for immunity to COVID. It's just not commercially available. It's not, e it's not easily available. If you go to your doctor and say, I want to see if I've been exposed, he or she will essentially do an antibody screen. That's not a very good screen of anything. You can do, I, I for a long time told you about Aditic score. That's how you get a full spectrum of all the different antibodies that your B cells are producing and the neutralizing antibodies. The problem with the Aditic score and any other assessment of immunology, we have not done the research necessary to standardize you know how we say what's a normal sodium level, what's a normal thyroid level? That's called a standardization, a normal range of results. We haven't figured out that standard yet for COVID antibodies. We could, we're just not doing the research, and I don't know why, because there are more sophisticated ways of doing this than just vaccinating everybody. You can standardize immunity, test people. It's expensive, it's cumbersome, but people could show their immunity. You can also get tested. This is what they do in France. In France, they let you show your immunity, even though that's a kind of a vague notion still. I think we could do a better job with that. You can show your test results, and they have tests on every corner, or you can show your vaccine passport. When people have options, they they they, they loosen, they soften, uh, and they're more likely to cooperate without, uh, you know, without all the hesitancy that people have today. Uh, Josh, uh, let's see, I get Josh up here. Uh, Dr. Drew. Hey, what's up? Not much. So yesterday you were talking about uh, histrionic personality yeah. traits yeah. and uh, aggression. Yeah. And then you you adding narcissism to it today. Well, histrionic is a narcissistic disorder. And so my okay. my question is, how do we, we know there's good evidence? We know there's good uh, research to suggest that we've had a massive narcissistic turn in the last 30, 40 years. I mean, there was debate in the 19th century, whether there was such a thing as a narcissistic personality. That's how far we've come from that. And we've clearly made that turn. My question is, how do we go from narcissism to, to more histrionic features? Why, why didn't we I have just a theory think? Go ahead. about that. And yeah. actually, it has to do with you. Okay. Um, Loveline was a show that opened up discourse for sexual discussion. Mm -hmm. And I, I, my theory is that without that, sort of national openness to sexuality and sexual discussion, that could be 
a cause because right now, if someone has a question, it's not just if they have a question, but it's it's not open. It's a closed uh, system. I, you know, it's in psychoanalysis you say a closed system, but it's it's really a place where people can't get these things. Even thinking about them, I mean, the yeah. listeners of Loveline would constantly have to turn this stuff over in their mind, and it gave them a way to... The reason I'm saying that is because in histrionic, there's a mix-up between sex and proper that, ego functioning. That, that's that's an old theory. That, that's not really thought to be uh, accurate. Uh, you're really talking about conversion reactions and repression, all this stuff. That that I don't know that a lot of people would agree that that's an accurate way to think about histrionic. Uh, though I must admit, much, you know, we sort of, we, th there are actually schools of thought that are trying to put everything on the cluster B under a narcissistic sort of label. And it's just differing traits of narcissistic injury, essentially, or different strategies of dealing with narcissistic injury and dysregulation. So uh, to, to sort of push it over to sexual repression, that was a pertinent for a Victorian society that Freud sound, found himself in in 1850. There is not sexual repression now. So the idea that people don't have a, a place to go with their sexual material, they, this is the internet. They go with a lot, they, they're, maybe they were overstimulated with that stuff. Uh, but Josh, thank you. I've got a couple more calls I got to get to, and uh, I want to be sure Oh, to... Drew, I got my addict score. Yes, you did. Let me send it to you. Well, I got it too. I've seen it. Oh, you saw it? Yeah, it's not good. What do you mean? It, you have a 15, you have a 15 on the neutralizing antibodies, which means you need to, oh, you've got, but that was before the booster. Yeah. Yeah. It was before yeah, the, the booster. That showed me you needed to get the booster. Okay. So, so I had the booster last week. I couldn't wait for the score. But which it, was good. I was, my instinct was right. You needed So I had booster. the Pfizer vaccine in January yeah. and also, you know, both of them. And I ran out and got the booster because we're going to travel, but I'm glad I did now. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did too. I, I had a hunch. You know, it gave me diarrhea. I had a hunch. And and by the way, we are seeing uh, some diarrhea from, I've talked to several people now with uh, two weeks of diarrhea from the vaccine. From two the weeks? Booster, the yeah, booster. my stomach hasn't been the same. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not that bad. No, it's worth it. You, you, you're, I did not Remember like- when we got off the plane, I felt like I was going to throw I, up. I'll tell you what, when I, I read your additive score, and here's what I got from it. You had okay antibody levels, but you had really good IgA levels. And yeah. IgA is the spike- protein antibody that shows up in your nose to prevent infection. So you had some protection from that. You did not have good neutralizing antibodies, meaning if the virus get in, you couldn't neutralize it. Now we don't have very good T cell assessment. There might be an army of T cells ready to back up that, that IgA. We don't know. I'd rather see you get boosted and get better neutralizing antibodies. It's just, Maybe Caleb I, will show the picture of it at the end of, of the show. Guy. Okay. I want to get Jeff in here. Jeff, go ahead. Hey, thanks, Dr. Drew. You bet. Hey, I got a, uh, a question about um, vaccines and, uh, and youth. You know, um, I'm fully vaccinated, but uh, my son is not, and I respect that and his reasonings. Um, the thing that we're dealing with right now is that my grandson, he's just he's, a, he's 14, and he's a really great athlete, and uh, he plays uh, um, getting into high school ball and plays on select teams, and... Uh, we're struggling right now trying to decide if it's uh, him taking the vaccine as something um, that uh, he should be doing at his, at his age. The majority of the, the other players on his teams and in, in high school, they are vaccinated in the community that they live in. 
And so we're just really struggling with that. I know my son coaches baseball and basketball, and he's not allowed to do that unvaccinated. And, yeah, boy. and then now, you know, now the pressure is with my grandson who, you know, with all rights and purposes, you know, he's, he, he's an A-type personality kid. And, you know, I just, I, I don't want to see him struggle with Wait, let, feeling left out. You, I, you, you I know, know what, what I'm you're saying. saying. Yeah, but let's, let's yeah, reason yeah. through. So, so your son is how old? He's 32. Okay. And he has not been vaccinated. He is not vaccinated okay. and it's, uh, yeah. And yeah, has he had not. COVID? You know, he thinks he has. I, I have advised him to go in and get the antibody test. Yeah. You know, but uh, but he hasn't done that. He just has some philosophical differences. And trust me, I've, I've tried to talk to him analytically about the science, but he's just not there yet. And that okay. pours over onto his son. Well, so hold on now. So, so if he is your son overweight or any other risk factors or anything? Oh no, he's in okay. great shape. Have, have uh, you yeah. have you appealed to him on the sort of uh, you know group basis that we're trying to reduce the spread of this thing and we went oh over, absolutely he does, yeah, in yeah. the replication yeah. and variants and all that he doesn't that doesn't appeal to him. You know what? Not not at this point. And then now with my grandson and sports okay. and all of those things. So you know, that's what I'm, with, with yeah. that kind of rigid thinking on his part for his own sort of um, vaccine status, it's going to be really hard to get him over to the, a teenager. Right. That, that's going to be very difficult. I, I, it seems to me that... What, what are the studies showing for teens for that one, age? One per 7,000 myocarditis. That's your okay. number. Uh, everything else looks pretty good. Uh, it is not a trivial decision. It's a, it's a serious decision that parents should take very seriously. Right. Uh, we're going to see, you know, as we get into the tens and hundreds of thousands of vaccines... Uh, for that age group, you're going to see more myocarditis. It's going to look a little more scary as we go forward. I, I have my, my instinct on this is for you to work on your son. And if you can get him vaccinated and he does well, that will soften his. And at very least, you could appeal to him saying, hey, do you want to? I, I guess you already have. You said, do you, know, you want to transmit it to your son, to these other kids? Is that, is that really what you want to do? How would you feel if that happened? Yeah. Is there, is there any studies that you can point me to in regards to teens and those type of things that you think might appeal to him? I, I, again, I, the best stuff, the best discussions I've heard is from Vinay Prasad. You can go to his uh, plenary session podcast. He's got a lot of the, he goes over the data there on many of his pods and uh, he, he cites the material. You can pull the citations that he goes over. That's the okay. best. And you know, I'm going to have him in here next week, hopefully. So that's the best stuff I know of. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it's a rough. It's rough, man. Did you have the vaccine? Whoops. Did, <laughs> did you have the vaccine yourself? We have to get this back. Hold on. Uh oh. Yeah, because I got calls through. I know. Jeff, you still there? Yes, I am. Okay. You, did, did you have the vaccine yourself? Oh yeah, I did. I had yeah. Johnson and Johnson, and, and, and I'm, I'm you're yeah. fine. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would just uh, keep at him, keep working him, do, do a lot of, um, use the word wonderment a lot, wonder. I wonder how you'd feel if you use that approach, like, okay. how, how are you going to feel? I wonder how that would work for you. And what, uh, how, uh, just make him think about the consequences of his choices. Uh, and let's see if we can get him to get the vaccine. Then I think you might see, I, again, it'll be dependent what the community does around your son, your grandson, of course. But uh, these are really tough problems. These yeah. are really difficult problems. And, and as much as possible, you got to come at people not through the, uh, the, the, what is the word I'm looking for, whether you're either, you know, on or off, this sort of di digital sort of, a, uh, you know, binary 
don't at, come at them from a binary position. Come at them from a holistic position of, you know, how you make choices, what it looks like, if it, what goes one direction, what if it looks like if it goes another, and then get mm -hmm. whatever data you can. See, maybe, maybe Dr. Prasad will have something uh, on those podcasts. You guys, I got I to call this person who just broke through here. Um, Did you see that question? Which question? About my immunity score. What was the question? Any idea what it was before getting any vaccination shot? The thing about my nose. The fact that it was zero. It was zero before. You'd have zero before. Right. So this is. But how do you know I didn't have COVID? It's just. This is not a COVID profile. Okay. I can tell you now categorically you did not have COVID. But I have a good. I have something good in my nose that came, came from decent, the vaccine. You have decent spike uh, IgA in your nose. I, you have to explain that because I am not so, a medical so, person. So you first, the IgG and IgM, which are the circulating spike proteins. Uh, and those are the ones you really use once the virus gets in to neutralize it. And there's a way of testing the neutralizing antibodies. Unfortunately, your neutralizing was low. Doesn't mean you don't have T cells, which are the direct killer cells, and the ones that that uh, sort of uh, direct the army of B cells, you might have a good T cell response. We don't know how to measure that yet quite effectively. All we do know is we can measure the IgG, the IgM, and the IgA, and your IgA looked pretty good to me in terms of protecting you from the outside world for the IgA that shows up in your nose against the virus. Now, if the virus gets in, you might get in some trouble, which is why it was a great idea. Once to it get. gets past my nose, exactly, hair. which it really could. Not your nose hair. This is a biological <laughs> event. If it gets to the IgA, it's because it's gotten well past your nose hairs. Oh, uh, but but uh, it's just like a protective barrier. Think of it as a biological barrier. But if it gets in, I wish in, Caleb could show it. I sent it to him, but I don't know if he has it. Just so you can see what it looks like. Do you want to? All right. Do you want to show it, uh, Caleb? Uh, I don't. I want to. I want to censor out all of her personal info, so I'll have it ready for the next show. Crop my information. Uh, next show. Next show. Okay, we'll show it on. It's interesting. But they had to take like well, you four should vials show, of well, you blood. Well, you know what you should do is show mine versus hers, because mine looks totally yeah, different. Yeah, so take a snapshot of yours and send yeah, it to Yeah, mine Caleb. looks impressive. <laughs> mine is like, whoa. Yeah, that that's good. Immune. Let's get yours and, so, then, and then just take a snapshot of it, because you need a password to get okay. it. And we're going to be in here tomorrow with the writer of Dope Sick at uh, 3 o'clock. Is that correct? Or 3.30. Yes, that's correct. There it Beth is. Beth Macy. Macy. Three o'clock? Three o'clock, everybody? Are we all in agreement? 3 p.m. Pacific. 3.30. Yes. Three o'clock. I see it up there. Three o'clock Pacific. And Caleb's doing Ask Dr. Drew this whole week uh, for us. And you and know what? Week. I have to apologize. I was so busy with uh, the phone today. I didn't even uh, go on Restream. So I, I that's never happened before. That's and okay. I, they were they were behaving. Oh, except for Sophie. She wasn't. I had to mute her. What happened to Sophie? I don't know. She was just saying crazy stuff. You know. Sophie was there yesterday. I think yeah, I she was. To her. She was saying stuff like they use bleach and oh, for oh, coat. Oh, you oh, know, oh, oh. I don't. We don't need that in our stream. Oh. Well, I'm on the restream now, just as an homage to you guys. I'm back on it. So hello. I know we love you guys. Uh, and I, I've never done that. Not uh, been a high C Margaret. We I have with, some great people on Clubhouse. We appreciate the Clubhousers. I don't know if they're still there. Did you shut it off yet? Uh, I, we haven't done. Uh, what, uh oh, and uh, we got a super chat. Uh, thoughts on using L-methylfolate in addicted patients who have the MTHFR gene, do I believe these patients can have dopamine tone raised by testing L-methylfolate? Uh, uh, Callie, uh, I think uh, uh, methylfolate is a good idea for most people, especially if they have that genetic mutation. Uh, it's certainly that we give tons of folate to drug addicts and alcoholics uh, as a matter of routine because they're often deficient from the drugs and from the alcohol especially. Uh, so, it, But to try to adjust the chemistry sufficiently to have a clinical effect no that will not work the overwhelming biology of addiction is so profound 
we have no way to really pharmacologically alter it. And it's a wiring function and a genetic epigenetic uh, phenomenology as much as it is a biological effect at the at the synaptic level. This, you know, adjusting the synapse, adjusting the dopamine levels, don't do a, doesn't do a hell of a lot. It takes time for the, the genes that have been turned on and off by the drugs of addiction to it takes time for the, those genetic mechanisms to dial back, as well as the rewiring to develop, to turn on the frontal lobes, to decrease the drive systems, to decrease the uh, ventral tegmental sensitivity into the shell of the nucleus accumbens. This is fantastically complex biology that is not affected by single agents. Not a bad idea, good thing, but not going to have a really significant clinical effect. Folate generally in an alcoholic reduces the incidence of Wernicke syndrome, and so we give it in buckloads, uh, bucket bucket loads. All right, I'm going to end the clubhouse. We thank. So, if you, you want all. some more excitement, go to Fox LA tonight online, and um, you can see Drew there. I'm going to end the clubhouse room. We thank you all for being here. We'll be in here, I think, maybe tomorrow. I think Definitely it's foxla.com/live or something like that. I believe that's true. Fox LA. Uh, hold on here. Uh, let me see okay, what gonna, I've got. You, uh, you, um, you're done with the clubhouse, so I can I'm turn I'm done with the clubhouse, and I'm looking at the restream now that I actually came on here. Uh, with Chris, Carolyn turned eight this weekend. Thank you for your kindness and support. Happy birthday to, <laughs> to uh, Carolyn. That's a great age. That is a great age. Caroline, I think she's correct. Caroline, happy birthday. Uh, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to wrap up the entire thread here. I'm looking at... <laughs> you're uh, like Caleb. Hobo Kelly now. Yes, it is like Hobo <laughs> Kelly, I, who only you and I make that would understand that timely reference i'm sure there's other people here uh, unless you were watching tv in 1964 you would not know who hobo <laughs> kelly was and you have to have been watching in a couple of urban environments like los angeles to know hobo <laughs> kelly. uh but thank you for those timely references because i appreciate that i love that so uh, we could dress you up like hobo kelly for for halloween I just want those and you big, can just those go big hi, fake sunglasses hi caroline i see you <laughs> okay now so i have to explain this so what Hoa Kelly would do is she would put on these giant oversized sunglasses and go, oh, I can see it's Susie. It's Susie. It's Susan's birthday. Susan, look under your bed. There's a present from your mom. And <laughs> oh, it's Caroline's birthday too. I, I bet her mom, Chris, has got some very fun plans for her. I see it. I see what's coming. There's a party coming. And uh, it's still delights. We all thought it was Just Last time Susan heard this, she was six and it still delights her four. presently at this current age. I was four, honey. Four. Beg your pardon. Uh, okay. I'm going to wrap this up. We thank you all for being here. We'll see you on tomorrow at three o'clock a dope sick is the book and then friday with greg ellis we'll see you then ask dr drew is produced by caleb nation and susan pinsky as a reminder the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care diagnosis or treatment this show is intended for educational and informational purposes only i am a licensed physician but i am not a replacement for your personal doctor and i am not practicing medicine here always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Oh.